Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 22nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with WorkComp Academy. Let's get started with this week's news. Technicolor prevailed in the Court of Appeal this week. Here's what happened in a civil liability claim which tested the limits of the exclusive remedy rule. Mr. Bazzini worked for Technicolor developing and printing motion picture film. He was exposed to a number of chemicals which caused skin rashes and dermatitis. Technicolor supervisors advised him that it was safe to work in close proximity to these chemicals if he took proper precautions. In 2005, the employee was diagnosed with bladder cancer. His urologist was the first person to tell him that the cancer was caused by exposure to these chemicals at work. His wife contended she was exposed to the chemicals when he came home from work, causing her urinary infections and red spots on her bladder wall. Both filed suit in Superior Court and attempted to avoid the workers' compensation exclusive remedy rule. They relied on Labor Code Section 3602B2, which provides for an exception to the exclusive remedy where the employee's injury is aggravated by the employer's fraudulent concealment of the existence of the injury and its connection with the employment. The Court of Appeal pointed out that this Labor Code provision codified the Supreme Court 1980 decision against Johns Mansfield products. In Johns Mansfield, the Supreme Court held an employee who had lung cancer and other asbestos-related illnesses could pursue a civil lawsuit only when they showed fraudulent concealment. Without evidence of a fraudulent concealment, the only remedy would be to prosecute a claim under the workers' compensation law. In the Technicolor case, the court found that Mr. Bazzini merely speculated that Technicolor employees knew of the connection between his skin conditions and cancer. Speculation and conjecture was insufficient to avoid the exclusive remedy of workers' compensation. The Court of Appeal, in an unpublished opinion, sustained the trial court summary judgment against him. And a WCAB writ-denied case provided some clarification of the Sanhagen decision. Sanhagen mandates the use of UR by employers instead of the QME process for treatment disputes. In the case of Comprehensive Outpatient Surgery Center versus WCAB, an outpatient surgical center provided pain management treatment to a worker that was recommended by the PTP. The worker had an admitted injury to her neck, low back, and right hip. Later, an AME indicated that the pain management treatment was not necessary on an industrial basis. After the applicant settled her case, the lien for the pain management program was submitted for a decision. There was no evidence submitted at trial that the employer had undergone a UR process before selecting the AME. The work comp judge denied the lien based upon the opinion of the AME that the treatment was not necessary. The lien claimant filed a petition for reconsideration, arguing that without evidence that the employer underwent a UR process as required by Sandhagen, the parties could not use an AME. 
The work comp judge recommended that the petition be denied since the AME was selected before the Supreme Court ruled on Sanhagen. Further, even if Sanhagen were applicable, there is nothing to preclude an applicant from seeking the opinion of an AME. The WCAB adopted the report of the workers' compensation judge. The lien claimant filed a petition for a writ of review, which the Court of Appeal denied. This case emphasizes how important it is to follow the UR process whenever treatment is an issue. We must remember that a writ denied case is persuasive but not controlling law, so there is no guarantee that this case will be universally applicable. Nonetheless, this case may be of value in legacy cases where the parties have gone to an AME without first undergoing the UR process. And now, our fraud report. The California Restaurant Mutual Benefit Corporation announced its fourth conviction for workers' comp fraud. Tamisha Carson pleaded no contest in a Solano County court to one count of insurance fraud. Carson had been caught on a video staging an injury at a Vallejo Taco Bell. Carson had claimed that a box of soda had fallen on her foot while she was attempting to move it. Video surveillance reviewed by the Taco Bell franchisee showed that she had in fact placed the box on her foot before she called for help. Intercare, the claims management company, working with the employer, denied the claim and launched an investigation. The case was pursued and conviction obtained by the Solano County District Attorney. Carson will pay $1,255 in restitution as well as additional fines and fees and will be on probation for two years. The employer group is going to continue to provide support to its members for safer workplaces, fewer injuries, and an end to fraudulent claims. Three executives and a foreman of San Andreas HVAC in Hollister are facing felony charges, including workers' compensation fraud. The men are also charged with seven violations of taking and receiving the wages of a worker. Prosecutors are also alleging that Romero Ramos, the CFO, committed workers' compensation premium fraud by misclassifying employee wages. Prosecutors are also alleging that foreman Raul Gonzalez dissuaded two employees from reporting their work-related injuries to doctors. Gonzalez is also charged with one violation of making a false or fraudulent statement to discourage a worker from claiming benefits or pursuing a workers' comp claim. Authorities were alerted, alerted to this case because of a payroll kickback scam that worked like this. When a contractor is awarded a public works contract, they are required to pay employees the prevailing wage. Thus, the company's executives would issue paychecks to workers for an amount based on an hourly prevailing wage. However, in this case, they demanded the employees give back about 75% of the paycheck. Attached to the paychecks was a yellow sticky note indicating the amount of cash that was supposed to be returned by the workers. Typically, workers who were earning the prevailing wage rate of about $50 an hour were in reality making about $12 an hour. The men are scheduled to appear in court March 2nd 
to set a preliminary hearing date. And here's some regulatory news. At this time, efforts by Governor Schwarzenegger to sell the State Compensation Insurance Fund to raise cash are bogged down, if not dead altogether. However, the concept of states selling off state funds for money seems to be surfacing elsewhere. The governor of Colorado is considering privatizing Pinnacle Assurance, the state-chartered work comp insurance fund. Such a move could fetch hundreds of millions of dollars for Colorado, which is facing a budget shortfall of at least $1.3 billion. Officials said that in recent weeks, Pinnacle asked the governor's office to renew privatization discussions. The governor's office and Pinnacle have been talking to financial services firm J.P. Morgan about appraising the insurer. The governor's office believes that any deal to privatize Pinnacle would require that it remain the insurer of last resort. Pinnacle officials released a statement confirming the discussions but would not answer further questions. There is a proposal where the insurer would pay taxes and a lump sum to the state in exchange for almost full autonomy from state regulation. But business groups and a special committee reject the idea of privatizing the quasi-governmental agency. And in the news this week were continued predictions for the year ahead by industry experts. The Hartford Financial Services Group Vice President believes that state legislatures around the nation will not enact any major work comp reforms this year. Lawmakers instead are focused on closing budget holes, causing comp issues to remain on the back burner. Due to budget restrictions, states cannot afford benefit increases. Even if there was no economic downturn, serious comp reform would not take place since it typically takes a crisis in the work comp insurance market to move legislation. There was no movement on comp legislation in California, New York, and Texas. The Northeast states of Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Massachusetts have generally more stable comp systems. In the coming year, there may be impacts from state elections in California, Connecticut, New York, and Massachusetts. In California, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot seek re-election because of term limits. Democratic State Attorney General Jerry Brown will likely be the Democratic nominee for governor and has a good chance of being elected. Jerry Brown has stated publicly before the recession that he would like to restore the California system to what it was before SB 899. It is not known if he has the same view now that the California economy has drastically changed for the worse. The National Council on Compensation Insurance, or NCCI, studied the anticipated claims costs of our aging workforce. NCCI said that the percentage of working age population looking for work who are 65 and over rose 17% in 2008. The number of workers 65 and older has increased by nearly 50% over the years and the increase is likely to continue. One reason workers stay on the job longer is that they are healthier. 
The report examined how workers aged 65 and older had differences in indemnity claims, medical payments, frequency, and costs per claim. It also looked at implications for workers' comp claims management and lost costs. The key conclusion in the report was that slips, trips, and falls are by far the greatest cause of injuries among older workers. They also concluded that the work comp indemnity costs for injured workers aged 65 and older are lower than the costs for younger employees. Older workers had less frequent claims in the more hazardous manufacturing and construction related industries and occupations. However, claim frequency is higher for older workers in the leisure, hospitality industry, food preparation, and service occupations. The Workers' Compensation Research Institute, or WCIRI, predicted increased pressure to reduce costs even when the recession ends. We will also have business with smaller payrolls, which in turn means smaller comp premiums. This pressure will seek to eliminate unnecessary benefits paid by employers that do not improve the outcome of efforts to return employees to work. Examples of areas where there can be savings would be unnecessary prescription costs and litigation. WCRI said that for workers' comp agencies, the shrunken economy will mean performing the same mission with less revenue. Many observers believe we will not return to where we were. We are headed to a new equilibrium sized to the true level of demand. This will be brought on by a fall in prices, the closing of factories and malls, and reduction in government services. Because of retiring baby boomers, the United States will go back to a lower level of employees even when there is an economic recovery. However, in the shrunken economy, many will be returned to less productive jobs at lower wages. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or your iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with WorkComp Academy. Thanks for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.